Hey everyone, Mark and Steve here. Before we get started today, we want to let you know about Dare to Connect, our new online interactive video platform. For less than the cost of a therapy session, you and your spouse get live access to both of us three times a week. Each 30-minute live group support session provides interactive mentoring and healing for addicts, spouses, and couples. If you're loving our podcast and our unique style of bringing you recovery, you're going to love Dare to Connect. To learn more, go to daretoconnectnow.com. We're looking forward to seeing and working with you. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody, Mark and Steve on the PBSE podcast. So, hey, forewarning about today's episode. <laughs> this is not going to be one of our typical episodes. This is going to be pretty heavy, uh, autobiographical on my part, because we want to talk about something that we call the abuse cycle. Yeah. And the reason we want to talk about it is we're going to talk about it in part one is how the abuse cycle really is connected to the addiction cycle. Why we get involved in addiction in the first place, why we turn to these outlets that dominate our lives. And then in part two, we're going to talk about how this whole abuse cycle affects the spouses or partners of addicts Mm -hmm. and how partners, uh, what it's like to live with somebody who's been through an abuse cycle and now is in in addiction. And then also oftentimes those spouses have, have experienced their own abuse. And how that becomes like this, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a double whammy, right? It's yeah. the mountain twice as high, but let's look at uh, this abuse cycle part one. <clears throat> and I want to quickly share a little bit about my story. Um, so I, I never knew my biological father. It was kind of a born out of wedlock shotgun wedding kind of scenario. And uh, the marriage only lasted about, about a year. And there's, there's sort of, cloudy mysteriousness about what all happened. I never, I never have been able to have my mom really tell me because she has her own really horrific abuse that she grew up with. And so she doesn't like to visit or share these things because of the extreme shame of it all. And you can only imagine as a mother and knowing what your son, your, your little boy was subjected to how absolutely horrific the shame and the guilt would be. And she bears that to this day. And and just as I start to share this, just know that today my mother is one of the is one of my heroes. Um, what she went through and how she was able to hold it together as well as she was with myself and my four sisters is nothing short of miraculous. So, yeah. so it's important yeah. to know that out of the gate. So, um, <clears throat> biological father gone. Uh, marriage number two for my mom ended up being uh, an extremely abusive, psychopathic. Um, homicidal individual. And I don't say that lightly. Um, we, we do know today that he was at least responsible for the murder of at least one person. 
and, oh, and many other attempteds. So um, I was, so here I am probably two years of age and imagine living with that kind of an individual, this man. And you can only imagine again, what he must've felt toward me, the son of another man in my, my mother's previous marriage. And so the jealousy, you know, the, the, the rage, uh, we're, we're pretty, pretty convinced that I kind of became his whipping boy. And uh, later, later MRIs and medical investigations showed that I probably had like one side of my face crushed, you know, from, from, from the fists, just all, all sorts of stuff that happened. <clears throat> so I don't want to go in, I don't want to belabor all of that. But, uh, and, and the way that relationship ended, I remember I was about four years of age, um, the, the door barricaded in our duplex and he was trying to break through to quote, kill us all. And police ended up coming. And the last, the last little image I have is looking out the back window of a police car driving away from my childhood home. Um, uh, you know, we were rescued and, and then we moved to a different state and then that's a whole other story, but Here's, here's why this is so significant with this abuse cycle. I was, <clears throat> I was convinced, obviously, when you have an adult that's, that's perpetrating these things on a little kid, the little kid is going to assume that it's the little kid's fault. Yeah. Can't be the adult. Yeah. Can't be this godlike character that's doing all these things. He's doing all these things because there's something wrong with me. And of course, the adult, the abusive adult will often tell the, the, the little kid or the teenager or whatever that it is your fault, right? You're a piece yeah. of crap, you're a loser, you're pathetic, you're whatever. And so there was tremendous verbal abuse, emotional abuse, which was coupled with the reinforcement of the physical abuse. It's kind of the perfect storm to reinforce ideas about your identity that you then carry with you through the rest of your life. Yeah. So I was convinced that I was the problem, that I was worthless, pathetic. All I deserved was to be beat on and to be abused and kicked around and cast aside. And I carried all that through my childhood and teen years. So imagine having that kind of hole in the soul, so to speak. I kind of think of it as a bucket with a thousand holes in it, and you're trying to fill it. And then on top of all that, I also had all of the manifestations of mental illness that come as a result of abuse. So the depression, the anxiety, um, I had severe OCD, I had Tourette syndrome, I had, I'm sure I was bipolar, though they didn't have that diagnosis back then. So all of these ways that this stuff is manifesting, and you're just trying to do the best you can. You're just trying to cope, survive, stay alive, continue on with life. And so I, so I was experiencing all of that. And then here comes age 13 when I hit puberty and discovered masturbation and climax for the first time. And I'm telling you the very first experience that was my savior. I felt something good for the first time. And now couple that with pornography where these airbrushed, beautiful, perfect you know, women and images, which are only reserved for the truly worthy, for the truly awesome, for the, you know, the sports stars and the rock stars, and only the people with great value are paid attention to by those kinds of women. And now in pornography, they're paying attention to Mark. 
Yeah. yeah. I'm wanted. I'm desired, right? These gorgeous people are there privately disrobing only for me. And all of that started filling my bucket of holes for the first time in my life. Yeah. First time I felt valued for the first time I felt like I had worth. So that's kind of, that's kind of a short version of all that. And please, everyone listening, please, 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 please. I'll say please a hundred (laughs) times. Do not mistake what I'm saying as an excuse for my addiction. I am not trying to make an excuse at all. I'm, but I am trying to say that I'm offering an explanation. Yeah. And decades later, when I was with my mentor, the wonderful psychologist, Dr. Paige Bailey, who took me under his wing, when he first started to reveal to me how all of this works, the abuse cycle, the explanations for it, you know what happened for me? I remember looking at him and saying, and, and literally I was crying. Here I am, a man, you know, 40 years old saying, Paige, Paige, wait, wait, is what you're saying? Are you saying that I'm not just a loser, a piece of crap, a worthless piece of garbage, that there's an explanation about my addictive behaviors? Are you telling me you can explain to me why I did all of those horrible, terrible, awful things all those years to cope? You're telling me it can be explained. And he said, yes. And he taught me and explained it to me and showed me how it worked. And that's where my recovery began. Mm-hmm. Mark is not a loser. Mark is not something to just be cast aside by the world as just one of those people. I could explain it. I had, I had rationale. And so if I could explain how I got into my addiction, then there was probably an explanation of how I could get out. Mm. And that's when the hope started. Yeah. I just, uh, I hope everybody listening appreciates the significance of what we're doing today. Today is a, definitely a different uh, podcast. And, uh, you know, there, there are no easy answers to the topic that we've chosen for today. It is a little bit of a rougher topic for sure. And uh, this part and, and the next part, you know, the goal here is not going to be automatically fixing these issues uh, that come up with, with, with the abuse cycle. And what that looks like for an addict in a recovery and for a spouse, uh, both as someone with a past history of abuse, but also in a marriage where that may be present. Um, but to say that it is is complicated is obviously an understatement. Um, the goal here is to is to bring about some understanding and some knowledge base so that we can kind of create an, a beginning or an enhance the awareness that each of you have around this so that it's something that can start to be tackled. Um, and and I just really appreciate Mark being being willing to be so vulnerable and open about this because it is, I mean these these uh, the roots these origins of these complex issues like addiction are oftentimes they run so much deeper than what are given credit for and understandably so for a spouse someone who maybe has never encountered this or 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 seen the full impacts or has kind of an understanding of how you know, abuse can impact a person or even for the addict themselves, right? This, the, the way that we respond in the, in our current state, the way that the symptoms of abuse from the past show up, including with addiction, but also even in other ways, um, add to the seeming quote unquote insanity that we talk about oftentimes on this program. Addiction feels like insanity, and in, in very many ways, it, it can easily look that way. But the, these roots, 
you know, understanding these things, even though understanding is just a first step to the process, there is so much power that can come from just what, like what Mark was vocalizing. There is a real emotional release and an empowerment, I think, of, of beginning to just grasp the idea that, wow, maybe I'm not crazy, right? Maybe I'm not insane. Maybe my partner isn't crazy or insane. Maybe there are reasons why this happens. And we will emphasize this again before we're done today. These are not excuses, okay? We want to be clear. This is not a podcast about, hey, if you've been through you know, abuse, if you've been put through this abuse cycle multiple times, if you've endured, you know, a sufficient amount of horrendous, horrible things, then, you know, that makes, makes addiction an excuse. We are always in control of our faculties as they are today. And it is always our responsibility because no one else can do it to make changes, to be able to show up in our relationships and with ourselves and with our families and our loved ones and to connect with others. It's all our job on us to overcome those things. But understanding like, the origins is is powerful. Yeah, and I love the word you use, Steve, responsibility. I'm just going to tell everybody listening, the word responsibility was one of the most shaming words imaginable for me for much of my life. Every yeah. time somebody would said, Mark, you're not responsible, or you need to be responsible, or you don't accept responsibility. It would just shame me to my core. And, and I was trying. And every time they would say that, I was, yep, you're right. I'm just, I'm just an irresponsible loser. The problem was because I didn't understand the origins, because somebody hadn't helped me to get in tune with and tell my story and, and, and explain to me why it had led to the behaviors that I had engaged in, the harmful, destructive behaviors. I wasn't able to respond because I didn't know what I was responding to. It's important that you take the word responsible and hyphenate it. Response able. Are you response able? For much of my life, I wasn't because I didn't have the facts, the stories, the origins. Nobody taught me the skills or the tools. I didn't know what I was dealing with. I was just surviving. I was coping. I was trying to stay alive. But then when all this came out and somebody took me under their wing and explained it all, now suddenly I began to experience what it means to be response hyphen able. Yeah. Oh, I am able to respond in this moment to what I'm feeling, to what I'm experiencing, to the choice I'm about to make. Yeah. I can be response able. That was a huge breakthrough for me. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things that had to happen for me to gain that response ableness. So that's a very important thing I want to point out. The other part I want to make sure I say before we go any farther is when you hear my story, please don't take abuse and start to put it on a measuring device. Yes. Well, I never went through anything as severe as what Mark's saying. So therefore, my situation must not be valid or you can't explain it because mine was less. It's really interesting. I've been in some groups where there are guys like me that will explain, you know, share some really horrible abuse stories. The ones in the group that sometimes will feel the greatest shame are the guys who will say, well, I had kind of an idyllic childhood. I didn't have any of the things that you're describing. So therefore, I must be the biggest loser in, of all in this group because I have no excuse. And no reason for my addiction. Mm-hmm. Right? Do you see the yeah. danger with putting this abuse cycle or, or trauma on some sort of a scale? 
that says, well, yours is justified, Mark. So yeah, we can understand why you fell into addiction. But John over there, you got no excuse at all, man. Your, your upbringing was awesome. Yep, absolutely. You got to be really careful with that. No, for sure. And, and, you know, the origins piece of this is, is important as far as, as, you know, for lots of reasons, but not just the understanding of oneself or one's partner, as we, you know, take up arms to kind of work on and, and tackle uh, difficult issues like addiction, but it also is important because understanding the origins can also help us work on the symptomology and mm-hmm. better handle those things while we work on the healing side, because there's symptom management Right. And then there's the healing piece. And in some ways they have some crossover, but in other ways, they're very separate, both for overcoming one's own traumatic past in tandem with overcoming something like like an addiction. So, yeah, Steve, talk talk about really quick the symptoms of of trauma or abuse when we may not know the the seriousness of the origins. We may have like I did. I blocked it all out. Somebody said, well, what happened to you? I said, I have no idea. It's a it's a blank. It's black. Yeah. So, So what do the symptoms look like? Well, and probably before we even do symptoms, maybe we should walk back just a second and talk really quick about the four stages of oh, the yeah, yeah, cycle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good that, point. That would probably be good because that'll help us kind of talk about the yeah, other piece here. Yeah, keep in mind, everybody, this is, again, just kind of a scraping the surface on this topic today. Um, we do go in depth with with topics like this, as you guys know, if you've been listening for any amount of time, our Dare to Connect program for God, Spouses and Couples, uh, we meet three times a week, which gives us the opportunity to really go in depth. Um, with these different issues, you're able to ask questions. We're able to answer in interactive real time. We have new features that are rolling out with the program all the time. Some really big ones coming in the next couple of months. So we would love to have you come check that out. You, you can take a look at a free two-week trial on that at daretoconnectout.com. We'd love to have uh, have you come over and give that a shot and see where we kind of take these things to the next level. But with regard to, but back to these abuse cycle, these abuse cycle steps, it is important to be kind of acquainted with these. And then we'll talk about some of the you know, kind of the outcomes and how this does impact us. So the abuse cycle, generally, it's generally understood that the abuse cycle is, is primary, primarily made up of four main stages, okay? Um, and this applies to any relationship in which abuse is, is taking place. First stage is what we call the tensions building side of, of things, right? This is where, this is the Vesuvius prior to the eruption, right? One can almost feel, depending on their level of awareness, kind of the tension between the relationship, you know, gradually increasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are becoming short with one another. Uh, answers to questions are becoming more terse. People become more withdrawn, right? There's there's usually some sort of a, much like a tidal wave. I don't know if anybody knows this, but it with an actual like physical tidal wave before it actually will come and like land on, on a city or on a beach or whatever the case is. One of the signals of a tidal wave is that it actually, the water pulls way, way back into the ocean. Yeah, the ocean like, gets really shallow. In yeah, like goes for, far back further than it ever would. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a good analogy for this because before <clears> that wave hits, it actually, it's like there's almost this total withdrawal of, of, of pieces of the relationship. And then eventually, attention builds to the point where we call, I mean, we lightly term it the incident or incidents occur, where this is where the actual abuse happens. In a physical way, you can imagine what that would look like, right? Some sort of physical violence or attack on an emotional uh, uh, side of things, uh, which oftentimes happen in tandem, as is the case with Mark's experience, right? That there's that emotional and physical uh, component working in tandem. This is where the explosion occurs, right? This is where the eruption happens. The other, the, the one person, the abuser, right, responds in very erratic, very dangerous ways uh, that can range everything from physical violence to emotional shaming 
to betrayal in, in other forms, right? Uh, this is where the chaos occurs and where the other person is essentially beaten down, right? It, it, for, for a number of reasons by the abuser in a distorted way to either gain compliance or sometimes in a really warped, twisted way to even connect with the person. That's a story yeah, for many yeah, times no. as to how that works. But, that, but that's really kind of what the incidents look like. Um, after the incident or series of incidents, then we have what's called reconciliation. Um, this reconciliation piece is kind of a, a couple of things usually happen here. The abused, usually this is where they enter sort of a, uh, if they haven't broken free of the cycle, enter sort of a capitulation type sta stage, right? Um, they will make promises or offerings to change. Uh, oftentimes the abuser themselves will do the same thing. Look, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that, right? There's oftentimes a desperate for, desperation for connection on the part of the abused and mark talked about this really well in his example yeah right? see this is where it gets confusing for people who uh, either see someone being abused or hear that they were abused and they're like why didn't you get out of there why did you put up with it why didn't you stand up for yourself why did you just sit and take it yeah you have to understand that that the abuser creates this sense of disconnection it's very much the case for me i can imagine myself as that little kid you know, being beat on and verbally abused and so forth, and then kind of coming back, trying to make up with my abusing stepfather. How can I measure up? What, what can I do for him so that he'll, he'll like me better? I must be doing something horribly wrong. So if I can fix this, right, if I take out the trash, he'll love me. If I shine his boots, then it'll be better. Yeah. Right? This whole feeling of I've got to reconcile. I've got, I've got to fix this rift or this gap. Yes. Right? Not only so that it doesn't happen again, hopefully, but so that this person can can be pleased with me, so that I can I can have this connection. And there are lots of reasons why why reasons why somebody in this situation might stay. Like in the case of Mark, when a child is abused, right there, there is a literal desperation. We're biologically wired to you know we gravitate to the people in charge of us. We don't we're vulnerable. We don't have anything else to cling to. Right. And so we're, and we're, and, you know, you combine that with our culture where we're, you know, told, Hey, honor your parents, you know, they're the ones in charge. I mean, all those things come into play where, where the abused for a variety of reasons will, will stay. Right. And this, by the way, also happens even in adult grown up relationships and for sometimes different reasons. We're going to talk more about the spousal side next week, but the sad truth is, is that there are oftentimes spouses that will make a conscious decision to say, to stay either out of a warped sense of kind of what we're talking about, wanting to connect, or even from a place of they literally feel trapped, either for, for, for financial reasons or other, or other issues right at hand where, look, I want to go and maybe even I should go, but I can't, right? Either yeah. emotionally, it's terrifying to leave this relationship for whatever reason, or I won't Fearing, be able to make yeah. it on my own. The legal right? consequences, I might lose my kids. I, yes. I just have lots of reasons why. So it's very, why yeah, very, yeah, very complex. And then after that, we have the fourth stage, which is kind of is referred to as the calm or more commonly known as the kind of the honeymoon stage. This is where things seem, and this is oftentimes the main reason why people stay, because when this is part of the emotional craziness of the abuse cycle, because things get so bad, really, in the other three stages, even though stage four is not accurately, I think, in most cases, quote unquote, a good stage, because it feels so much more positive than the other three there's really kind of a euphoric feeling around yes, stage four. Yes, because the, the contrast of it, of the, uh, between yes. it and the other three, you're just like, oh, well, okay. They're, yeah. It's calm. Everything seems to be okay. 
right? And it's still bad, but compared to the seventh circle of hell, <laughs> yeah. we were just in. Yes, right. I mean, there's, the there's, a, there is, there's a real euphoria to it. And right? maybe that was the last time. Maybe that was the yes. last time this will happen. Right? There's just all of this, all of this thinking that takes place with regard to that. And yep. it should be noted on the part of an abuser, right? When they say that they're during that stage three, when oh, I'm going to change, I'll do whatever it takes, I'm going to be better. Right. It's it's important to note that in many cases, those claims are actually very sincere. It's not always a manipulative tactic to keep the other person to stay. Oftentimes the person like us addicts, for example, we're very I mean, the reality is I will own it. I was an emotional abuser that when I when I kind of came to terms with this in my therapist's office with my wife, it was one of the harder experiences in therapy. And there were many of those. But understanding that, yeah, I really did play a role in this. And I very much fell into this category. I sincerely wanted to change. I could tell every time I would take my wife and I through this cycle, I was losing my wife a little more. And I was doing and saying things that were just so out of character and went so far against my moral framework or moral code. I mean, I was just abhorrent with myself. I just could not believe the conduct that I was leading. And so those desires to change would be real. But the problem is, is this is a cycle for lots of reasons. And one of the reasons is people get into that calm stage or that desire, that reconciliation stage with the best of intentions, but without any additional tools or influence and without any understanding of where it's coming from in the first place, they are bound to repeat it. Exactly. Yeah. You get stuck in the cycle and me too. There were many ways that I became an emotional abuser. Um, thank God I didn't become a physical abuser or did I think because of what yeah. was done to me. I just had this determination into me that I would never do that. Yeah. But plenty of emotional abuse, plenty of verbal abuse that I would engage in on others. And usually it was because I was going through my own stuff with regard to my abuse, right? The abused easily become abusers. Yes. And we, and, and many times we can't explain why. I was a pretty calm, go along to get along, you know, peaceful, easy guy until Mark lost his temper. Mm-hmm. People go, whoa, wh- who, where did he come from? Whoa, Mark, you, Mark lost it, right? And I couldn't have told you after why I did. Yes. It was just this, this seething, deep down anger that would just suddenly erupt mm-hmm. and come out of nowhere, right? Well, that was a lot of the stuff that, was, that happened to me along the way. So there's just all of these things, all these symptoms, all these outcomes, all of these behaviors. There's so much tied to this. And we're obviously, we need to finish up today. We do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is part one. Part two that we're going to do next time is we're going to talk about this abuse cycle from the standpoint of a spouse or a partner that is married to an addict who's experienced abuse. What is this yeah. like for the spouse? Not just dealing with the addict and his abuse or her abuse, but what about, what about a spouse who has also been abused? Yeah. Now we've got double abuse Mm -hmm. dealing with both sides of it, yours and his or hers. And so next episode, uh, uh, part two, we're going to talk about this from the standpoint of the partner. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody. We, we love you guys. We love our listeners. We're so grateful that you're here um, and seeking to work on seeking help for working on, stuff that is so difficult and so hard. And as you've seen from today, uh, for both addicts and spouses, in some respects, you find yourself in a situation that you did not ask for and never anticipated finding yourself in. Um, and uh, we really do applaud that. We've got lots of good things coming up for our next episode with this. And But again, really do appreciate your patronage. We just crossed into the threshold. Mark told me right before today, as we were getting ready, we're now in over 150 countries this podcast is being listened to. 
yeah, uh, which so is cool. huge. Um, yeah. Which and we really appreciate you guys being here. So uh, please keep sending us your questions. You can you can submit those as always at pbsepodcast.com or reach out to us with concerns and get in contact with Mark and I personally if there's anything that we can help you with. And uh, we look forward to uh, to uh, being with you next time. Yep. See you in up. See you in part two. Take care. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.